2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. They said no, by the way. I asked them if I'd preach it. They said no. Then, somebody say then. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement? Somebody shout atonement. That ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord. And here's their response. Let seven men of his sons, Saul's sons, be delivered unto us and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I'll do it. Whatever we got to do to make this right. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord and they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest and in the day and in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. Verse 10, and Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth, spread it for her upon the rock. From the beginning of harvest, somebody shout harvest, until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, for from the men of Jabosh Gilead, which had stolen them from the streets of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son. And they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, Buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah in the sepulcher of Kish, his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. But watch this. And after that, after what? After they had buried the bones, after that, God was entreated for the land. All of a sudden the rain began to fall. All of a sudden, when they had done that, after that, God said, now I can give you harvest. Now I can give you revival. Now I can do a work in your land. And after that, God was entreated or he was willing to bless the land. 
I feel like I have a very pointed word. And if we can get this word and if we can apply this word and respond to this word, I'm telling you that God is going to do something in the spiritual atmosphere of this area that is going to back up your faith and do God's going to do his part because we know that you've been doing your part. But I'm telling you with when we respond to this word at the end of this message. It will change the spiritual dynamics of our last couple of years. Are you ready for that? We need an after that moment. So tonight I'm going to preach, bump your neighbor and tell them, bury the bones. You ready? You ready to bury some bones? Amen. Lift your hands, lift your voices together with me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, we worship you, and we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would quicken my ear to hear, O oh God, as the learned, that I would have a tongue of the learned to speak a word in season to those that are weary. I pray, Father, that you would release a spiritual revelation, understanding, and also faith to apply your word so that you, Oh God would change the atmosphere in this area that there would be a great harvest that there would be great revival I wish somebody would get a hold of a little bit of faith uh, Father right now I pray release the gift of faith in this house so that we can believe your word and apply it to our lives uh, we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and everybody said in Jesus name Slap high five one more time with your neighbor. Make them feel real comfortable. Tell them, make it rain. All right. <laughs> you can be seated. David had been leading as king for a little while now. He had been leading a revival nation of God's people, Israel. But there was a hiccup along the way and all of a sudden David realizes that they had a bad year. There was famine. Now famine is just not when they didn't have any food like we think famine. But famine was literally when you didn't get out of the field what you were putting into it. There was a lopsided ratio where you would do the work, you'd plant the seed, you'd do what you could, but, but if nature, if, if the environment just wasn't working together with your efforts, it would be, fruit, it would be fruitless to a degree. But famine was literally when you are putting in the effort, but you're not getting out the fruit that you desire. So it was a time in David's leadership where they were in a year of famine, where they were not getting out of the field what they were putting into it. And sometimes that just happens in life. You don't get out of life what you're putting into it. The, the amount of effort in ratio to the results, they're just not there. There's no return on investment for those that are the business minded. I don't really have a clue what I just said. 
I'm just kidding. But then something happens. Another year goes by. And still, David realizes we're doing the work. But we're not getting out of the field what we're putting into it. And something is starting to click for David because he is very keenly aware of the people that he leads. So therefore, after another year, a third year, there is famine and David realizes this isn't just a fluke. We didn't just have a bad year, but there must be something going on in the spiritual dimension, in the atmosphere of Israel, not just in the land. So he begins to ask why. Because it wasn't just a bad year, but it was an unbroken cycle that David had to stop long enough and assess and take inventory and say, why are we not getting out of the field what we're putting into it? Let me put it in this, this church vernacular. Why are we praying like we are, but we're not seeing results like we should? We're teaching, we're communicating, we're fasting. We're reaching, but why are we not getting out of the field? The effort that we're putting into it. And David stopped long enough to say, God, why? Because he realized it wasn't just a bad year. It wasn't just 2020. It wasn't just 2021, 2020. He, he, he had to ask, what is going on? Why, oh God? David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered his inquiry, saying, why are we not getting out of the field what we are putting into it? This is not just a bad year, but this is an unbroken cycle that must be fixed. So it's in those times when you realize that there are unbroken cycles in your life. You have to ask the difficult question of why is this going on? Not just one year, but year after year, the Bible said, making the point that this is something of an unbroken cycle. You've got to ask the difficult questions. If you go from one relationship to another and things keep happening the same way that they've always, you've got to ask why. And David in Inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, It's for Saul. Saul's dead. The first king of Israel, Saul. It's Saul in his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. What are you talking about? David, God was saying, listen, David, it's not something you have done, but there is something that was somewhat unresolved in the past. He said the king called the Gibeonites and he, tell, he says the Gibeonites weren't of Israel. They didn't go to our church. But there was something that was done to them by King Saul. And what King Saul has done now is that it left a bitter taste in their mouth. And, and, and it's because of what he did that you now are in famine. I was like, what? What do you mean? But the Bible goes on to tell us what actually happened. It said that Saul in his zeal tried to destroy all the Gibeonites, right? 
Because here's, here's what, what happened. It was King Saul who had been anointed to lead the people of God. He, uh, he was head and shoulders above the rest, but he represented a form of religion because he had the, he, he was a form of religion, but he didn't have the heart of a king. And so when God came to, for, for God came to King Saul, and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill all the Amalekites and I want you to destroy all their cattle, their sheep, don't leave nothing alive because they will end up destroying you if you don't destroy them. And Saul, the Bible said, he kept alive the king Agag and he kept alive um, the best of the sheep because he was gonna sacrifice what God had asked him to kill. He was gonna sacrifice him unto the Lord and you know, look how spiritual that I am. But then the Bible says when he has now been confronted by the prophet Samuel he said to Samuel I've obeyed the Lord and Samuel says excuse me I couldn't hear you over the bleeding of the sheep or the sheep as they are still alive and they're calling and they're and so so Samuel's trying to listen to Saul justify his disobedience but he couldn't hear him over the excuse me your your disobedience is deafening what'd you say and he said I'm going to sacrifice all the stuff I kept alive but then we get this beloved scripture First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. One translation says, What is God more pleased with? Is God more pleased with your spiritual offerings or with actually listening to his voice? And I'm here to tell you, King Saul, he did not obey God, but he tried to compensate for his disobedience through sacrifice. And here you can see it throughout religiosity. You can see it through Christendom in our modern day, that there's a lot of people doing a lot of things in the name of Christianity. But just because they're doing spiritual things doesn't mean that they are pleasing to God. Are you doing what God is asking you to do according to his word but wait I'm doing this this and this but no are you obeying God it's like my little girl I love Natalie Joe. she is my sweet girl she's our middle child she's 10 now she asked me on the phone how's Paisley doing I said she's getting tall but it's like my daughter this, this is the whole concept like my daughter she She's got a bedtime at 7.30, and she's an evangelist. She's in public school now. We, we were homeschooling her while we were traveling, but now the Lord said she's an evangelist. Loose her and let her go. So we, we turned her loose in the public schools, and she's not even in middle school. She's in elementary school, and she's ready to have P7 groups. She's ready to, I mean, she's tearing it up but she has a bedtime, 7.30. But guess what? You have no idea how often she comes into our bedroom at 9.30 at night. 
And I'll, and I'll say, Natalie, your bedtime is 7.30. We've already prayed. We'd already said our shamas. We've already done, we've already done the bedtime routine. Your bedtime's 7.30. And she'll be like, but I drew you a picture. And I'm thinking to obey is better than sacrifice. <laughs> but how many times do we hear the preached word of God and his word so clearly declares what he is asking of us in obedience, but yet we hold up to him. Yes, I love my daughter's pretty picture. Oh, that's so sweet. But the question is, is God pleased more with obedience or sacrifice? I love her pretty picture and I'm going to hang it on the fridge. But what I really want you to do is make sure you're in bed at 730. But a lot of times we're doing a lot of religious activity. But are we doing that thing that God is asking of us? And that's why Saul, he was just a form of religion, doing super spiritual sacrifices at the expense of what God was asking him to do. And when he was called out on it, he went on a rampage and he began to destroy anything that was not completely pure and holy and just like him. He was a form of religion, but he had lost the heart of a king. So he, in his rampage to justify his disobedience by these super spiritual exploits, I've been there. I know as a young man, I'll talk to the young men and the young ladies right now. As a young man, there was people I ought not to have been dating, but I was dating them. But guess what? You know, I knew that God was saying, no, it's not the will of God. But guess what? I said, but God, I'll pray more. And I started praying like I'd never prayed. And I started fasting. I, I started fasting like you wouldn't believe. I started all to justify my disobedience. I began to sacrifice to compensate. That's what religion does. It'll do things at the expense of obedience. And God will ask for obedience. Listen very carefully. God's speaking to somebody right now. God will ask for this little thing in your life, this area of your life. He has for you to lay it down on an altar. He has for you to give it up. He has, he has this little area. But instead of just giving him that little area, we go to the other extreme. And they said, don't, don't worry about that. And we do all these things and we paint all these pretty pictures through spirituality and sacrifice and that's when he did what he did to the Gibeonites he slayed them and it left a bitter taste in the mouths of people and they had a bad experience with religion but then, here comes David. Not only is he anointed to lead, but he's got the heart of a king. So keenly aware to the people he leads when they go into a famine. He says, what is the deal? Why are the people doing everything that they can but not getting out of the field? What they're putting? He said, it's because of Saul. Well, if it's because of Saul, what does that matter to me? Listen, this is where I'm going to preach to the church right now. Hey, 
made David, just because you didn't do the wrong, I've anointed you to make things right. So David, well, I didn't do anything. I didn't hurt them. I didn't, I didn't burn their houses down. I didn't, I, but, but David understood his responsibility as the king of Israel, a representative of the kingdom. He knew I may have not done the wrong, but I have the responsibility to make things right. So he went to the world and he said, what do I got to do to make, I know you've had a bad experience with a form of religion, but you've never met the heart of a king. So what do I got to do to make things right? right that's what our responsibility is God has committed to us this message of reconciliation so he he goes to him he says what do we got to do to make things right and watch what they said they said we want seven of Saul's sons so we can hang them they, they said, we don't want, we want to be able to remove anything that resembles Saul. Anything that resembles that form of religion. We, we don't, we, we, we want to, we want to get rid of it. But here, here's what I want you to understand. Here's the principle. David said, yeah, I'll give them to you. Whatever we got to do. He said, what do we have to do to make atonement? What do we got to do to make things right? Because the people and the land needs God's blessing on it. So whatever I got to do to make it right with the people, let's make it right. We need atonement. He said, you need seven sons and you're going to hang them in a tree? So be it. Take seven sons. They took the seven sons and they hung them in the tree. Whoa. Seven sons, anything that would resemble Saul. But here's what happens. Atonement takes place. The principle, this is the same principle of the gospel. Because they took those boys and they hung them in a tree. And watch what happens. The Bible lets us see a principle that is throughout all of Scripture. If there is going to be atonement, if things are going to be made right, something innocent has to die in the place of the guilty. Because there was another somebody that came in the likeness of sinful flesh. His name was Jesus and they hung him on a tree. And it was him that was innocent that would die in place of the guilty. So that there would be atonement that was made. So that God can be entreated for the land. So it was on that tree called Calvary. The innocent would die in the place of the guilty. I was teaching a Bible study to a, a, young, a young lady that came to the church. She had no real biblical background. And we started in Genesis. And we realized Adam and Eve, they done messed up. They sinned. They were disobedient. And then all of a sudden, the Bible said, and God made them coats of skin and covered them. Right? I mean, we get that. But when you got a young lady that's never been in church, she don't really know the Bible. She's like, what kind of skin? She's thinking what had to die, right? 
And it started this whole understanding that we trace from Genesis to Revelation where he is the lamb slain. Hear me somebody, that there is always for atonement to be made, for people to be restored and reconciled. He was trying to paint the picture from the very beginning that something innocent would always die in place of the guilty. So there was a lamb that was dead in Genesis so that they could be clothed because they were naked and they were ashamed because of their sin. And I'm here to tell you, David, King David said, yeah, I'll give you whatever you need to make atonement, but it required something innocent hanging on a tree to bring reconciliation and atonement to whosoever will. Make sense? But here's the deal. David did what he was asked to do. But still, he wanted to make things right. Something innocent had to die in place of the guilty. But still, there was no rain. Still, they were in a drought. Still, there was famine. Because here's what I want you to understand. It's not enough for there to be a corporate atonement that has been made. It's not enough for there to be corporate reconciliation by something innocent dying in place of the guilty. Because the Bible said even after David had done his part and atonement had been made available, there still was no rain. And David's like, what is going on? Why would David be choose to do this task? Let me just share with you. The reason why David had to make atonement and make things right is because he was the current king of Israel. And Gibeah, they were projecting onto this king of Israel what that king of Israel has done. And that's the way pain works. That's the way trauma happens. Is that many times there will be something called transference. It's a phenomenon characterized by the unconscious redirection of feelings a person has about someone or something in their past and they project that trauma onto somebody in their present. The reason why God called King David to make atonement because he didn't do anything wrong but he had to make things right is because they would project onto this king of Israel what that king of Israel had done to them. So can I tell you, River of Life, you may have not been there with some of those people as they had their terrible experience with religion. You may have not been there as they were seeing the Bible misinterpreted and used as an abusive measure. You were not there for them in their terrible experience. But because of who you represent, because of who you are, you may have not been there for how they were done wrong, but you are the representative and you are called to make things right. Amen? Because you're a representative of the king. Because they don't know no better. They don't know that you're any different until you say, what do I have to do to make atonement? Atonement was made. Because there's a lot of times where I pastor people People come from every different walk of life, abuse and, and drug addiction and, and, and their, uh, all kinds of stuff. They come and I pastor them. And a lot of times 
they misread some of my cues, you know, some of the things that I do. And I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. But I still have to make atonement because there's something amiss. You want to know why? It's because they are projecting onto this king of Israel, this leader, what that leader had done to them, done to their families. And it's very easy to do it because transference is often subconscious. That means you don't realize you're doing it. So at the drop of a hat, you get mad because something that is said and something that is eerily like a similarity with somebody in your past, you project it onto somebody in your present and you compromise your future. So David had to be the bigger man and say, you know what? You may project onto this king of Israel what that king of Israel did, but whatever I got to do to make atonement, the innocent then dies in place of the guilty. But it's not enough for there just to be a generalized corporate atonement that is now available. The rain stills not falling. But David hears about a woman. Her name is Rispa. She's the mother of one of those boys that got hung. And the Bible said that she takes some sackcloth, which was a representation, a clothing, some cloth that they would wear as a visible sign of grief. And the Bible said she made a tent out of her sackcloth. That's a whole nother message. Some people were camped out in our grief. She made a tent and here's what she did. I was, I, the reason why I've been pointing at this thing and I've been measuring it, because I'm going to use it as a tree. No, I'm not going to climb that. I'm smarter than that. I was preaching a revival. I, I don't preach revivals all too often anymore. I was preaching a revival down in Kentucky. And boy, it hit me and I jumped up on the pulpit. And... I couldn't barely get up there. They've been feeding me right, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. A buddy of mine said, hey, those Reese's peanut butter cups are getting to you. He said, you can't do that as easy as you used to. I ain't going to climb up there. But now Rizpah, the Bible, David hears about Rizpah, how she has camped out in her grief sackcloth laid against a rock and she is camping there while her boys are hung up. They're already dead. They're already gone. It's already passed. What they represent is an unresolved issue in Israel's past. But here she is. Watch now. She is there watching her boys that are already gone. They're already passed. But here's the deal. The Bible said that when the birds of the air would come. I've seen something over here. The birds of the air would come. Get out of here. And she'd shoo those birds off. Then the beast of the field would come. And she'd be like, get, shoo, shoo. Right? Because here's the deal. She was like, listen, in her mind, 
Those are still her babies. And she's saying, listen, I know it's been preached a thousand different ways, but here's what God showed me that it cannot rain until you bury the bones. But as long as you won't let dead things die, as long as you won't let things that happen go, as long as the birds of the air don't... How do you know if you've got unresolved issues? How do you know if you got pain from your past and you won't let it go and you won't let dead things die? How do you know is when somebody gets close to it? You're like, no, no, no. Some things happen. You get offended. You get feel like you got belittled in some way by, I don't, I don't know what your case is, but somebody, somebody gets close. No, it's too soon. Don't touch it. Don't, it's too soon. Our pastor starts preaching on an area of your world that you've been through some stuff and he gets that close to it. Don't touch it, pastor. No, it's too sore. It's too much. I don't want to deal with it. And I'm here to tell you it is the unresolved issues and the pain of our past. It's the bones that we have not buried. It's the remnant of pain that once was. Those unresolved issues is going to keep the rain from falling and revival from happening. So I'm here to tell you it's not enough for us to have an understanding of corporate atonement but we have to have an individualized application of God's word and and say nothing is off limits God you can touch any area of my life but I'm here to tell you I've been in services where I was preaching and I got to praying with one young lady and I came to her and I said you've been hurt and she said yes yes and she started to cry I said it was somebody very close to you she said yes yes it was when you were very little oh yes yes it was I said it was your uncle her hands closed her eyes opened. She said, I can't do this. I can't do I can't. And she backed away. Hear me. She was saying, no, I can't let it go just yet. And she wasn't willing to let dead things die. She needed, she needed to let God deal with it, bring healing. I didn't have as much wisdom as I needed myself. And I dug a little too deep, too fast. That was my problem. But here's the thing. She was saying, get away from it. Don't touch it. I'm here to tell you, it's in those areas where you don't allow God to go. Those unresolved issues individually that can hold hostage a corporate favor that God is wanting to put on a church. Don't touch it! Because I've watched it. Listen, church, I've watched people. They'd get to a place until it got a little too uncomfortable, a little too close to home. Stuff started messing with those unresolved issues, those bones that hadn't yet been buried. And they would go and they'd find another church that would stay on this level. When God was trying to go deep, they'd stay right here. We cannot afford to be a mile wide, but only an inch deep. What we're going to see, what we're going to need to have revival in Grand Rapids in the surrounding areas, David understood as long as Rizpah's got unresolved issues, the rain's not going to fall. But if you can trust King David, your leader and your king, if you can trust them enough to say, you know what? 
what? I'll let you take my babies down off that tree. I'll let you, if you'll just deal with them right. Amen? Hear me. David knew those unresolved issues. As long as they're, don't touch it, pastor. Don't touch it, church. But as long as they're there. Let me show you something. How many know 2 Corinthians? We know some scripture. Y'all know some scripture. You're a good Bible-believing church. I understand that. But she suffered Notice how the Bible said, she suffered neither the birds of the air nor the beasts of the field. She suffered. Do you hear that? She suffered neither the birds of the air. In other words, as long as she didn't let anything touch her unresolved issues, she was suffering. But watch what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 10, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says this. He says, to whom you forgive anything, I'll forgive them also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, listen to what he says. For your sakes, forgive I it in the person... Listen what he just said. For your sakes, I've got to forgive. Why? Because he understands, he understands the next verse. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us for Notice how he talks. He's talking about forgiveness. You need to forgive, and I'll forgive also. And if I forgive, I forgive for your sakes. And then he goes and he says, starts using that terminology that's corporate. That's telling me there must be some individual application of the word so that there can be a corporate breakthrough. He is saying, I got to forgive for your sakes lest Satan should get an advantage of us. It's not enough. Just for Jesus to already have made the atonement by him being the innocent that dies. It's not enough. But we've got to forgive just as much as he's forgave us. Because listen, if we don't know how to forgive, Satan has an advantage. So if you as an individual cannot let dead things die, if you as an individual do not forgive for what they did, what was said, how it made you feel. If you don't forgive, it gives Satan advantage over us, right? Think about it. Jesus told his disciples. Look at Luke, Luke 17, 1. It says, then said he unto his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Listen, nothing will offend you more than somebody messing with your babies. Better not tell me how to raise my kids. 
I hope I didn't hit something right there. Maybe that was a pastor. I don't know if that was the evangelist. I hope. But, but watch. It's impossible that offenses will come. And he says, but woe unto them through whom they come. You know what he's telling those disciples? It's going to happen. It's just a matter. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you're going to be upset. You're going to have chances to camp in your grief just like Rispa. You're going to have unresolved issues where you don't want nobody touching it. You don't want nobody talking about it. You just want to try to try to uh, forget about it. But hear me, there are going to be moments where you are offended. But offense is one of the greatest adversaries to revival. So he is talking to his disciples about it. In verse 4 he says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying I repent and thou shalt forgive him it's no wonder that there were seven sons of Saul that were hung in those trees and Jesus is now talking about seven times you've got to turn in a day they could see those seven sons of Saul and say I forgive I forgive I forget I'm here to tell you seven times in a day you've got to turn again saying if he say I repent then thou shalt forgive him Wow. Wow. Jesus is saying you're going to have to forgive. It's not a if. It's a win. And not remember, like I said before, not just forgiveness for the big things. It's the little stuff that'll get you. It's when somebody says an ill time word when you're having a bad day. It's that little thing that kind of just hits you the wrong way. It's in that moment. Don't just brush it off. Don't just brush it off. That's what Rispa did. She just brushed the, the birds of the air off. Just shooed the beast of the field off. Oh, don't, no big deal. It's no big deal. And it becomes an unresolved issue. And the rain will not fall in your life. And you will live in a perpetual famine. But I'm here to talk to River of Life a little bit about the power that if you have the ability to forgive, then you take away the advantage of the enemy on our revival. But you want to know how the disciples responded? I love this. This is how I read the Bible, right? This is how I read the Bible. Watch this. Because the disciples, the apostles, these are the chosen dudes, their names are written in the foundations of the New Jerusalem, right? Their names, these are the dudes. And Jesus is saying, listen, offenses are going to come, but you've got to forgive. And if he does the same thing over and over and over again, but he repents, you're going to have to keep forgiving him. Watch what they respond. Luke 17 and 5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. 
Because they knew if we're going to have to forgive, we can't do it in our flesh. If we're going to have to forgive, we've got to do it by faith. By faith, I forgive you. Because guess what? You'll probably do it again, but by faith, I'm going to forgive you. Because I can't forgive. Sometimes I can't let go. I don't know how to let dead things die. But by faith, I need God if I'm going to have to forgive. God, you're going to have to increase my faith because I'll slap somebody. Come on, I ain't been saved that long. There's sometimes I'm saying, Lord, you got to increase my faith because. <laughs> hey, you're going to have to forgive. How many of you prayed that? <laughs> increase my faith. Because faith is not something you do in your flesh. Forgiveness is one of the most spiritual acts that you will do. So what we need to do tonight, instead of just brushing off what they said and how it made you feel, leaving you with unresolved issues, we've got to bury the bones. you got to take whatever, whatever is left over, the remains of what they said and how it made you feel. you got to take the remains of the abuse that you, have, you felt in your, in your domestic, the domestic violence, the domestic abuse that's in this area. You have got to take the remains of whatever abuse, emotionally, physically, Whatever it is, you've got to take the remains. And you've got to bury the bones. But here's the thing. Until you bury those bones, until you have a funeral for unforgiveness and bury those bones, the rain will not fall. You won't see the green in your springtime. But if you can say, okay, 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 I'm gonna let some things go. I'm gonna let dead things die. I know they're already gone. I know they're already past, but I wanna keep them alive in my present. Hey, if you will just take them off that tree and bury the bones, the Bible said, when she did it, the rain began to fall at the beginning of barley harvest. Wheat harvest is different than barley harvest. Did somebody just preach about that? You just laughed all weird like it was... Uh... <laughs> ah, pastor just talked about that. You know, that was kind of the laugh I was getting. Okay, so... But wheat harvest and barley harvest is different from what I've concluded that wheat harvest represents the world harvest that's going to be coming in. But barley harvest comes in before wheat harvest, if I'm correct. I, I, I didn't really do a lot of studying today about it, but I had studied it in the past. So barley harvest, as opposed to wheat harvest... Barley harvest comes in first, but barley harvest, I believe, represents the leaders that will help bring in the wheat harvest. So those that will be leaders in the end time will be those that know how to let some things go, that know how to forgive, know how to bury some bones and not let, not let things just stay present that's from their past. 
past. Hear me, somebody, that there is a barley harvest that God is raising up of leaders in this church, in this area, that you know how to bury some abuse. God's already made the atonement. The innocent has already died in place of the guilty. But you as an individual have to take his atonement and apply it personally to your life by burying the bones. Can I get piano players quick? Who? Piano player? Music? All that? Because I'm almost done. Give me a harmonica. I'll do it. No, I just... It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. I understand that. But here's what I want you to understand. As Rizpah... That's a pretty tall order. Take these unresolved issues for somebody to take childhood abuse, sexual abuse, pain like that. I saw it in the spirit today when I was praying in this area, Pastor. I. I Three years, year after year, 2020, 2021, 2022, not getting out of the field, what you're putting into it. And it's almost like in my mind's eye, I'm not going to say like I saw, I saw it with just in the, in the air, I saw an angel. I'm not going to say that, but in my mind's eye, it's like I saw an angel to the west of Grand Rapids holding back rain clouds. Just like this. And the Lord said, I felt like the Lord had impressed me that there were so many domestic injustices, abuse, violence. That has been done to so many people in this area. Nobody's talking about it. And there might just be one risk in this area that's got unresolved issues because of what somebody did in the past. And it's not until she is ready to bury what remains of that pain, that abuse. Hear me. It's not until she buries those bones that the rain begins to fall. But David, when he heard about Rizpah, you know what? He didn't just go to Rizpah and say, you know what? You need to bury your past mistakes. You need to bury your pain and your unresolved issues. Hadn't seen your daughter in so many years. You hadn't seen your son for so long because there's problems domestically. And all these unresolved issues, David didn't go and say, hey, get it together. Bury those bones because we got to move forward. No, you want to know what David did? The Bible said that David, in verse 12 of chapter 21, watch this. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jesus. Wait a minute, what what did you do, David? He said, I'm going to go get the bones of 
Saul. Saul was that first king. Remember, Saul was the one that threw javelins at David. See, hey, Gibeah, you're not the only one that's been hurt by Saul. You're not the only one that's got problems. So David ran and he got some bones of some unresolved issues. Those bones, they should have been buried long ago, David, but David understood. Listen, I'm not going to expect you, Rizpah, to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So as a leader, he said, you know what? Those bones, those bones were more than 30 years old and they still hadn't been buried. So David goes and he gets his own bones, his own unresolved issues, and he goes to Rizpah. And he said, we're going to do this together. Because Rizpah, I'm not going to ask you to do something I won't do myself. He said, come on. Let's go bury some bones together. Because Rizpah, I know how hard it's going to be to try to bury your bones and the unresolved issues, but you're not going to have to do it alone. I'm here with you. And what I'm going to ask this church, nobody's going to have to bury their bones alone because I got bones, you got bones. We all got remnants of what once was in our existence, but you got to grab somebody by the hand, somebody next to you and say, come on, Rizpah, I know you've been abused. I know you've been damaged, but you don't have to live like that. We can have a funeral for unforgiveness. I know what dad did. I know what happened in your home. I know I've I seen it in prayer, but hear me. I spent these last two years collecting some bones that I didn't realize weren't buried yet. I'm a preacher. But I realized I had some unresolved issues in my heart through my upbringing in an abusive father that used to slap mom and me and the, my sisters would watch but could do nothing. Church. So I spent this last two years healing forgiving, releasing on an individual basis. Why? Because I didn't want Satan to have an advantage over us. So you don't have to bury these bones alone. I want you to stand with me all over this house. We're about to have a holy moment where somebody's going to receive healing somebody's going to let something go tonight. And like I said, you've got to turn your wounds into words so that you can release those unresolved issues tonight. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand and say, come on, we've got to go to this altar and we've got to bury some bones. We've got to forgive some people. We've got to let go of that abuse in that past. Lift your hand.